Good morning, family. So glad that uh, we're able to share together. And today, I believe the Holy Spirit has something really special for you. And I, I, I always believe that um, to an extent. But um, today's message and what the, the scripture, the portion of scripture we're in, I believe um, it's going to open some of your vision to see what God is doing. In fact, that's the title, Seeing What You Can't See. And I want to just pray, Father, I ask that, Lord, today, open eyes, Lord, that you would open eyes, and that, Lord, you would help us to see, Lord, what you want us to see, and, uh, and Lord, that you would bring us to the place in our life where, um, Lord, we're looking in different places than we have in the past, Lord, and seeing things that, Lord God, comfort our hearts and strengthen us, and Lord, give us, Lord, a, a new kind of vision, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I was uh, thinking about um, a video, you might have seen it, it was on um, YouTube and it was also uh, on Facebook about three or four years ago, and it was uh, a 66-year-old man named William Reed, and he was born... And all he could see was was grays and and uh, color. He was colorblind, and and he um, he was really um, his whole life had never got to see the color of his wife's eyes, get to see you know the 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 flowers and all the things that we are so blessed to if we are able to have that kind of you know healthy sight. And uh, at 66, on his 66th birthday, his family got together and they pulled their money together and they, they purchased an Inquima, um glasses. And, and uh, it was uh, it color correcting. And if you saw the video, he, uh, he's opening the package and he sees them and he doesn't kind of know what to do and he puts them on and all of a sudden, what happens to his face as he starts to see colors for the first time and he's outside on his porch and he sees the flowers and he sees his wife and tears start rolling down and as you're watching it you know, well you, I don't know if you can watch it without choking up a little bit as you see what's going on as he for the first time is seeing fully and completely and and today I believe that there's something that God wants us to see and this portion of scripture has to do with with blindness and seeing and in, a, in, in several dif different scenarios um, in the story of Elijah and, um, and uh, in how all of a sudden he sees things. Uh, I mean, uh, the, his servant sees things that he never saw before. And, uh, and then how there is a, a transformation that happens not only because he sees something that he's never seen before, but because God actually is opening up his eyes. And in, in life, there are a lot of things that we don't see that God wants us to see. And, um, and they're, they're, they're not visible things. They're, they're in the spirit realm. But we have to see with the eyes of our heart, and we have to see through the eyes of the Holy Spirit in our life. There's a movie that, uh, that I've watched actually several times. I really like it. It's, it's called In Search for Bobby Fisher. In search of Bobby Fisher, and it's actually um, it's the the story of Josh Watkins. And Josh Watkins 
was a, a young prodigy. And as a young boy at uh, seven years old, I think six or seven years old, he, um, his parents found out that he had this incredible gift to play chess. And uh, he was beating his dad while he let his dad win uh, at first until his mom said, hey, it's, it's go ahead and play as you should. And he just, you know, and, and what we saw in the story was how he was getting better and better. Well, he had a mentor uh, that was helping him, a, a chess uh, pro who was helping him. And he, um, he taught him to look at the board and then to see beyond the board. In fact, one of the ways he did that is he act, took his hand and he wiped all the, the players off the board so the board was empty after they were already playing. And they started playing, and then he just wiped them out and he told them to see without his eyes. And he was able to imagine the board and through that process, it helped him to see the moves and everything that would take place without actually the chess pieces right there in his imagination, he was able to see. It helped him to, to win a, a national championship and, uh, and, and go on. So um, that, I, when, that image, when I saw that, I, I thought, you know, we need to be able to see with our eyes, not just our imagination, because that's not really what this is about. But this is actually seeing things in the spirit. Now let's, let me get started. We're in 2 Kings and chapter 6 and verse 8. And it says, now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. Well, the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Now what's happening is, the king of Syria is planning, and he's got his servants and, his, and, and his, uh, his advisors with him, and he's telling them, this is where, you know, we, sh we should go, and we're, let's, you know, let's plan on going there, and we're going to attack Israel. Well, Elijah sends word to the king of Israel and says, don't go over there because the king of Syria is sending his people there. And the scripture says <clears throat> that um, in verse 10, then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him, and thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. In other words, this happened over and over again. That every time the king of Syria was going to do something, the king of Israel knew in advance because Elijah the prophet had heard from God, and he sent things forward. Well, that causes a, a lot of problems for the king, and he's pretty, pretty upset about it. And verse 11 says, Therefore... The heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by his, this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? So he's saying, we've got a spy in the camp. And that would be the logical explanation for this. There's a spy in the camp. And he's telling the king of Israel what's going on. And I want to find out who that guy is. <clears throat> but... It's not a spy in the camp. It's a man of God who hears in advance. See, when you're led by the Spirit, all your enemies' assumptions are wrong. Though all, all your enemies' assumptions about you will be wrong when you're led by the Spirit. See, only the, the, only the people of the Spirit, only the, uh, the people who hear from the Spirit, the Bible says that 
when we're led by the Spirit, in fact, no one knows, but the Holy Spirit knows where he's taking us and what he's doing because God knows in advance. And there's nothing that God doesn't know. Every plan of the enemy, God knows in advance. Every plan in the, of the enemy uh, against you, God knew he was going to do it before the enemy knew he was going to do it. Before Satan knew what he was going to do, God already knew what he was going to do. There's no surprises for God. And so when we walk through our life and sometimes we, we get the impression that the enemy's just kind of having his way, no, he's not. He doesn't just have his way in our life. In fact, God is fully in charge and he, we can trust him and we need to see what God is doing when, when we can't see it. And one of the problems with Job, the story of Job, is how that Job was, he was, he was going through a, a tremendous amount of you know, uh, difficulty and problems in his life. There was a lot going on in Job's life. And when you read the story of Job, you go, I don't want to be Job. But the problem with Job, the main problem with Job, was not what was going on in his life, but the fact that he couldn't see beyond the natural to see what was really going on. He didn't have the insight that would tell him that there was, in fact, a battle going on against him by the, king of, by the kingdom of darkness. He didn't have that insight. Now, we should have that insight because the Bible gives us that understanding that there is a warfare, there's a battle that's going on, and that when that battle is going on and we're facing that in, you know, in, our, in our life, that there's things going on behind the scenes. Now, so the king of, uh, of Syria says in verse 13, so he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him and it was told him, saying, surely he is in Dotham. Now, you don't hear about Dotham much in the scripture, but it, it was significant in this, in this way. Remember, we talked about Joseph a couple weeks ago and how Joseph was thrown into a pit that would get him to the palace. Well, that's where the pit was. It was in Dotham. It was in the pit that Joseph was sold into slave, slavery. And if it wasn't for Dotham, the pit... And, and him eventually being, you know, being sold into slavery, he would have never got to the palace and all of his family would have perished. So certainly Joshua couldn't see in advance of what was going on, but he acted and the way that he responded in his life was he, he assumed God was in charge and he trusted God through every stage of his life and every situation that he went through in his life. So... The king says, oh, look at what he says in verse 14. It says, therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Well, talk about spiritual blindness. Okay, here, you know, everything he does, in fact, you know, the, his, his, his servant says, if, if, you're if you're talking to your wife in your bedroom, I mean, he knows what you're saying. He hears everything. He, he knows exactly what's going on in advance, this, this prophet Elijah. And so what do you do? Well, if the guy knows everything that's going on in advance, I think I ought to leave him alone. I mean, wouldn't that just be common sense? Wouldn't that just be, you know, that you don't even have to have a brain to think. You know, if this guy knows everything that's going on, I think I should leave him alone. God's on his side. I don't think I ought to be in opposition to what God is doing. But the king of Syria says, let's go get him. 
And, and if he would know when the king of, 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 of Syria was, was going after, you know, sending his army, wouldn't he know in advance probably that God would tell him that if he comes and tries to get him, he would, he would know he's coming there too. But, but he actually, and, and I believe God did tell him that it was coming because of, of the calmness and the way that he responds. Now, in this story, we're going to look at some application for our lives. And there's application, first of all, because of the blindness of the believer. There's blindness of the believer. And there's blindness of the unbeliever. I mean, we see the unbeliever in, in the king of Syria, how he's so blind that he's going out. I mean, you know, it's, it, it's kind of, I saw the other day, I saw this little dog, I don't know, it looked like a chihuahua, barking at a pit bull. Like, no perception, right? No perception of size, no perception of abilities, no perception of what, he, you know, he's, uh, he's proudly uh, kind of going to attack, like he's going to really make uh, mincemeat out of the pit bull. But the pit bull just kind of, you know, stared at him, like ignored him, like he wasn't even there. I, I think he was thinking probably in a minute, if that thing doesn't shut up, I'm going to take a bite. Um, and the bite would be a nibble that would, um, you know, that would be his dessert. But the, the, this is what that king of Syria is doing. He, he thinks he's really, you know, going to get, he's going to get this prophet and get rid of him because he's the problem. But, so in verse 15 it says, when the servant of the man of God rose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So his servant gets up. Maybe he's going to make um, you know, his, his master some coffee and a breakfast and whatever is going on here. He's getting up. He gets up early. But Elijah's resting. He's not worried. And when he goes out and he sees that the city is surrounded with chariots and horses. This is a massive army. This is a big army that is, that is there. And he comes back and he says to Elijah, you know, what are we going to do? You know, what, what should we do? I mean, like, it's, he's, he's thinking, where should we run? Maybe you could hear from God and find out the way out of this, this the escape. But Elijah's answer um, we hear this when we're finding ourselves in a fearful or uh, a situation where we really went out of. A lot of times it just irritates us. Because Elijah's response is, his answer is, do not fear or do not be anxious. I mean, you really don't want people to say that, do you? Yeah. Don't fear. You know, st- don't worry. Don't worry. What do you mean, don't worry? There's an army out there. There's problems really all around us. And what do you mean don't worry? Don't tell me not to worry. But the Bible tells us not to be fearful. It tells us not to worry, not to be fearful over and over and over and over again. It said uh, that the, the scriptures, and it depends on the translation, but 365 times, around 365 times, the Bible says, do not fear. And 
why so many times in the Bible? Why does it keep saying that, do not fear? Because we have this great tendency to fear. That's the problem. And so God has to remind us over and over again, you know, that, that we're not to be fearful. He has to keep reminding us. He understands our weakness, and he tells us, don't fear. Don't worry. Why? Because when you worry and fear, well, fear keeps you from actually seeing what is truly going on. Fear, your, your, our tendency toward fear is to look at worst-case scenarios or or develop worst-case scenarios in our mind so that we cannot even see clearly about everything that is around us. I think there are so many things right now that are going on that are really good in the midst of all this pandemic. I mean, some amazing things. And I was talking to a, a friend just uh, yesterday about that, and, uh, and we were talking about just the, the, the miracles that have happened that would not have happened if we would have all been actually at, be, be able to be, be at church because of the enhancement of the online uh, and people going online, church going online and all of that. And I, I, I don't believe it's supposed to be the permanent solution at all. I believe that we're supposed to be together and the Bible's real clear about that. But God uses things that don't look like, you know, are part of his plan and sometimes they actually are his plan. And we were, I was thinking even about this whole thing of this pandemic. I was listening to someone, they were talking about China. And, um, and you know, there's kind of a, a, a different view of what's happening in China, how China is trying to take advantage of this pandemic. But this, this expert was saying they're not just trying to take advantage of the pandemic. Actually, they're trying to survive. And he believes that, in fact, within just months, just months that, the, that the, the Chinese government is ready for a collapse. And there's all kinds of problems going on in China. Well, you say, well, that's China. What does that have to do with us? There's 100 million Christians in China that have been under persecution for decades, and they've been praying. What if God is actually using this to free up the Christians? See, sometimes we don't even stop to to even uh, imagine what God might be doing because we're all caught up with the fear and anxiety of the moment or the situations that we're going through. And the, so um, he, he tells him first, do not fear. And then he says something that, that if, if there's no response to it, sounds like Elijah's kind of gone a little sideways. I mean, it's, he just, he says, for those who are with us are more than those who were with them. And you can almost hear the servant going, yeah, but those are real soldiers. <laughs> They're real weapons. This is a real problem. You know, you might be talking about this ethereal kind of thing, angels and so forth around. <clears throat> and sometimes as Christians, there are Christians that don't believe there's more around. There are Christians who have a hard time seeing the supernatural in their life. They, they, they can never imagine God doing something other than just all, everything within the natural realm. And, and it, they, they won't understand. They, they don't get it. They're, they think that some people who see the spiritual working of God all around them, they sometimes think that they're, they're a little too super spiritual or they're delusional. 
But people have had their eyes open. And they've seen God in action. They start to see more. Each day, we're able to see more of that work of God. So, at this point, he looks around and he doesn't see anything. But the armies that are against him would crush him. But the army of God that surrounds him is greater. And that's true for you and me. See, when you don't see beyond what you see, your problem will become insurmountable. But when you see what you cannot see, your problem disappears. So today, as we look at Elijah's response now, he says, and Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes eyes that he may see and the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elijah see your prayer for spiritual blind people counts in fact it works when it is when, when you pray in faith when you pray in faith your prayer is needed. It is needed. And so Elijah is praying and he prays for his spiritually bl bl blind servant. And he's praying for a believer. We need to pray for the body of Christ. We need to pray that God, we would see, help us to see beyond just the natural realm. Help us to go beyond our natural earthly response when situations and problems and difficulties come and, and, and our anticipation of the negative things that would come along, the, our worst case scenario, imagination. Father, help us get beyond that. Help us to see. Help me to see. Help my brothers to see. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Lord, that we will see greater. You know, the, that, that was actually the prayer of Paul for the Ephesian church, that, that the eyes of their imagination, their eyes of, would, would be enlightened, their eyes would be enlightened in seeing the, the grace of God and the, 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 the expanse of God. And in fact, he even goes so far when he prays that prayer, he goes so far as to say, I don't even know what to pray about the love of God because it's so great that I can't even imagine that. It's, it's bigger, and I pray you open their eyes, Lord, but I can't explain it, and I want more of it too. And that's the, I think, the prayer of the church for one another. My prayer is that we would all have spiritual eyes, that we would see what we wouldn't other, otherwise see. And, and let me tell you the difference between seeing in the spirit and not seeing in the spirit, it has to do with your ability to see, in fact, the, the goodness and the love of God. The reason we go to worst case scenarios is because we're not trusting God. And we're not seeing the God that has been revealed in scripture to us. And so immediately we end up in this place where worry and anxiety takes over our life instead of faith, instead of confidence instead of rest instead of joy instead of enjoying i i know 
and I can tell you this by personal experience. I know this, that when you let worry and anxiety and fear take over your life, your relationship with God dies. Why? Because you're not enjoying your relationship with God because you're not in trust with him. So, but if you are, in fact, trusting God, then you start to see. And the people in my life that I have seen that have the, the most in-depth um, relationship with God, I notice something about them. Whenever things happen, they tend to see things that other people miss. They, they tend to see the good things that are going on when others are focused on the negative things. It's, it's a, it's, it, it is their... It is their mode of operation, I would say. It is their default. That, that their default is, okay, this has happened, but, oh, but I can see how God could, I, I can see God working here. I can see, you know, and that's what, I, I, I was talking to one of those people the other day, and there's something tragically happening in one of their family members' life. But this family member is away from God. And with kind of a joyfulness in their, in, in, in their desire for God to do a miracle. Obviously, they were concerned about their, their family member that they love. But th this is what they, they said. You know, I think God is working. I, I think God is getting their attention. I think, I think this is the way God might be, in fact, bringing them to Christ. And that is just, th that is their, their de facto mode. That, that is their, you know... The, their automatic way of looking at the world because their heart has been trained that way to see what other people don't see. And so, then, but then there's not only this blindness that comes to the believer, there's a blindness, of course, of the unbeliever. And in verse 18 it says, So the, so the Syrians came down to him, and Elijah prayed. Hey, if you're, if you're you know, on, online there, just just put Elijah prayed. Just just remind you, Elijah prayed. Let me tell you why this is important. Elijah prayed to the Lord and said, "Strike the people, I pray, with blindness." Okay, he just prayed for somebody to see. Now he's praying for somebody to be blind, and not just somebody. He's praying for the whole army, this army to be blind. And it says, "And he struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elijah." So God responded to Elijah's prayer and struck them blind. Now, I, it reminds me of someone else that was struck blind, and that was, uh, that was Saul, who became the apostle Paul. And he was on, remember, and he was on the road to Damascus. God knocked him off his horse and struck him blind. But his blindness would eventually lead to his full sight. See, he wouldn't just see the graves. He would see everything. He would get the full picture. He became spiritually alive and alert. And he had spiritual life. So his, his blindness brought him to, to a place of reflection in his life, of humbleness in his life, and an opportunity for God then to do a great thing. So there, there's a pattern here. This blindness, this is the blindness that leads to sight. This is the kind of blindness that leads to sight. Now, the, in, in John chapter 9, there's an interesting um, thing. There was, there was a man there was a, 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 a man that was born blind, and Jesus healed him. And if you remember the story, the, 
he, the people found out, and his parents were kicked out of synagogue, and he, he was kicked out of synagogue because he said Jesus healed him. But he had not seen Jesus. If you remember, Jesus healed him, he couldn't see. But as he goes, he, he's, he's able to see. So he hadn't seen Jesus before. And he comes back, and he, he, the, it said, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and he, uh, he had found him, and he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? So Jesus approaches him and says, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Now, don't let that one go by you. We worship Jesus, why? And Jesus didn't stop him. That's because Jesus knew who he was. He was God. You're only to worship God. And then it says, and Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Okay. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words, and in their arrogance and pride, I'm adding that, it's not going to say that in the scripture there yet, but you can see it. And, and their arrogance and pride, and said to him, are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. See, the problem is, the problem with the un believers what the problem is for those who haven't come to the grace and the sight that jesus gives and salvation is this assumption that i'm pretty much okay and that that's the problem you're not really seeing clearly so you say you have sight and in fact the the, the fact is that you can't see you can't see your own sin you you know when when a this when i before I came to Christ, um, I, had, I had some friends. In fact, w one friend who actually got me to go to the Bible study, it wasn't because I felt a spiritual need to go to a Bible study and hear about Jesus. It was because he said there were a bunch of cute girls there. So I didn't have this, you know, I didn't have this kind of sense that I had this need. In fact, I felt like I was, uh, I, there was kind of an arrogance, a spiritual arrogance, because my family went to Catholic church once or several times a year. So I actually had more spiritual understanding than my friends because they never went to church. So whenever they taught, we talk religion, I acted like I really knew something, and I knew nothing. But but there was this arrogance, right? About I'm I can handle, you know, I'm I'm fine. I'm fine with God. I'm I'm a pretty good person. I haven't killed anybody lately. I'm just doing good. So that's an attitude that you know that a lot of people have. It's like I'm I'm a good person. I haven't done anything wrong. I, I'm, I'm fine. And, and the scripture says, because you say that, you really don't see at all. Because if you really saw, you would see that God doesn't grade on a curve. He believes, he, God knows, in fact, everything about our lives, and we fall short of his glory. We fall short, and we don't see. And that's, here, here uh, uh, Elijah is praying, and he prays for these guys to to be blinded. Now, it's, it probably is helpful in this. The Hebrew scholars say about this word blindness that it probably wasn't total blindness. In fact, it's possible that this was perceptual blindness. 
And, uh, and the way that they responded would kind of lean toward that as well. They, they don't seem to just get it. I mean, if you are struck blind, you fall on your knees and you just fall on your face and cry out. They're not. They're just, they're, they seem to be ready. We're, we're looking for this guy, Elijah. And Elijah then goes, um, if you look, look in verse 19, now Elijah said to them, this is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them off to Samaria. And so they're just kind of going, da, 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 da. you know, they're, 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 they're following this man. They don't realize it's the man that they're seeking after. And they're just going, and this is about a 10-mile track for them. So it's a, it's a, this is a full-day walk. And so they're walking to some, you know, with, with, and they're following Elijah, kind of not really aware of what's going on. And then, then um, and, and po- you know, possibly, um, may- maybe they're partially blind. I mean, obviously, it could be that they're totally blind. But get the idea, at least there's both going on here. They have no clue what's taking place. And it says, it, it, it was when they had come to Samaria that Elijah said, Lord, Open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and they, they were inside Samaria. So when, when their eyes are open, they're right in the middle of Samaria who, well, they're in the enemy camp. And I was thinking about this in, in several ways of application. One, I remember when I came to Christ and the day I said yes to Jesus and I came and I gave my life to Jesus, everything changed. Everything looked different. It was like I had my eyes open. I saw colors like I never saw before. And I believe it was just the Lord giving me insight and seeing things that he wanted to show me life has changed. But also, one thing that became very clear to me, all of a sudden I realized that that the world that I had lived in was really the enemy's camp. That was the world I was living in. And I saw the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. I, I saw for the first time, everything just seemed like all, you know, it was all great. Every, everything's kind of the same. And all of a sudden I saw that there are two kingdoms. And that became, I became aware of that. Now, how did these raiders have their eyes open? And it's very simple. Elijah prayed. Elijah prayed. And can I say this to you again? Your prayer counts. In fact, would you say that to your neighbor? Would you let somebody know? Would you just say, your prayer counts. Your prayer counts. Second Corinthians 4, 3 says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind God's age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. The, their eyes, they're, they're blinded. Someone being Elijah into their life. There are people in your, in your world, people in your family, people in your neighborhood, people in your workplace, people in the world that need someone to be an Elijah into their life. They say, Lord, open their eyes. Somebody has to say, somebody has to pray. Somebody has to seek God. God, open their eyes. Do you understand? Please understand that 
that God wants us to be an Elijah to someone. Not someone. To many. To many. To be the people in, in this world, not just in the wonderful proclamation of the gospel, which is, which, which is paramount that the gospel is shared, the gospel is taught, but the, but the gospel, the foundation of the gospel being received is, in fact, the prayer, God, open their eyes. Some of you, right where you are, you, need, you have people in your life right now you just need to say, you know, God, open the eyes of John. Open the eyes of Samantha. Open the eyes of Henry. Open the eyes. You know, you just, you just need to be proclaimed, Lord, open their eyes. Help, take them out of their stupor and out of their blindness and let them see the God that is the, the God of grace and the God of mercy. And it's and, and then the, the king of Israel, let me summarize this. The, the king of Israel says to Elijah, hey, father, should we go kill them? I mean, let, they're, they're all here now. Let's just kill them. And, and Elijah responds and says, when you capture somebody, do you just kill them? And the answer is no, we don't. I mean, they were civilized enough. They captured somebody. They, 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 they captured them. And so Elijah says, you know, don't, don't do anything to them except for this. Set food and water before them and that they may eat and drink. And, and the scripture says and they prepared a great feast for them and they ate and drank and then they sent them away. Now, can you just kind of put yourself in the situation? You, you know, you've been captured. You're the enemy. You've been captured. You are going to kill this guy. Now they make you sit down and they feed you this great feast. They, 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 that's not what you expected. You expected that when you were going to, you would face, if you would be in that situation with those people, you're dead. And a lot of people feel that way about the church. They feel like if they were come to church, that the church is going to attack them. The church is going to, you know, I, I've had this happen many, many times, and it's not just our church, I'm sure it's all across the country, where someone finally got dragged to church, and they just knew, okay, this person's bugging me for years, I'm just going to get it over with and get out of here. And so they get to church, and they hear something completely different than what they anticipated. They anticipated they were going to get a hellfire, damnation, you're no good, and you'll ne never be any good kind of person, kind of thing. Instead, what they get is they get, yeah, you're a sinner, but there is a gracious God who loves you. And, and they don't... And they, they, they're getting, they get a feast, and all of a sudden, in fact, many people in our church are saved today because Jesus, while we were enemies, sat us down and gave us a feast. He gave us his grace. He gave us his mercy. He gave us his love. And that, that folks, is transformational. The Bible says the love of God that leads us to repentance, that changes our life. And Elijah represents that. I mean, if anybody is a picture of the grace of God, the grace of Jesus and kindness and love, it's in this story. He gets and he sends them away. After Imagine what they had to say, come to the, when they came to their king now. What, what do they say? Well, you know, we found them. <laughs> they surrounded us. But instead of killing us, they gave this wonderful feast. You know what the scripture says? The scripture says they never went back to do that. They never attacked Israel again. They left them alone. 
They left them alone. You see, their lives were changed, their hearts were changed. Folks, there are a lot of people that don't know that they're blind. And words are not enough. You can't argue your way. Elijah didn't go to his servant and say, you know what, listen, I want you just to kind of imagine. I want you to just kind of imagine. You, You just have to, he didn't try to talk him into seeing. What he did is he prayed him into seeing. And we need some Elijahs today. And I believe that we're in a place. Here's what I wonder. A lot of us have been, have had a lot of, a lot of more time at home. Not, not everyone, I, I know that. But a lot of us have had a lot more time at home because of what this is. And in that time frame, I'm just wondering, how have we stepped it up at all? This isn't a condemnation. It's just like, are we seeing? Are we seeing what God really wants to do? Are we seeing what God can do? Have we been pressing in? How many people do you know that you're pretty confident they don't know Jesus? How many people? I mean, what would that list, if you were to sit down and write a full list of everyone you know by name, you might not be a friend, but you know them by name. How many people would be on that list? And let me ask you, how many of those people have you prayed that their eyes would be open? Have you pressed in? Have you been the instrument of God used to help them come to know the saving grace of God? We need to be those people. And my prayer, I have two things I want to pray, and we're going to, we're going to come and worship. I'm going to ask the worship team to, to come up and, uh, and close. And, and then those of you who want to, uh, I know we're going a little bit longer, but those of you who want to, we're going to have communion also. And if you would like to get some elements, some juice, and maybe some bread, if you don't have the, the, you know, the normal communion elements, uh, that you would get ready for that. But I, I just want to pray. If, if you're, you go, you know, Pastor, I've never given my life to Jesus. Maybe God is opening up your eyes a little bit right now. And Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, wants to be your Savior. And he wants to cleanse your soul from all of your sin. And he wants to help you to discover his goodness, his grace, and your purpose for life. And if you would like that, then you can simply pray this simple prayer. Father God, I ask you that you would touch my heart and my life with your spirit. Jesus, I want to receive you as my Savior, the Savior of my soul. And I receive you as my Savior. I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to cleanse my soul from all of my sin. And I ask that, Lord, you'll help me to see. Guide me. Direct me. I choose to follow you today. And I pray you'll help me do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you, go to our website at ccanaheim.com and let us know. We have some things we want to help you with your walk with God. We'll make sure you get that, okay? Do that. 
let's uh, let's worship the Lord. Um, uh, let's 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 enjoy Him in this uh, in this time, and let's let's celebrate. You know, there's so much to celebrate. There's a table that you prepared for me in the presence of my enemies. It's your body and the blood you shed for me. This is how I fight my battle. There's a table. I'm 
take communion, um, we're just we're reminded of the greatest event that rescued us, the sacrifice that Jesus made when he died on the cross. And that night that he was with the disciples, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Lord, as I, I take this bread, I, my mind goes and my imagination to that, that day where, Lord, you were beaten and, Lord, your body was just destroyed. Lord, the sacrifice you made and Lord, when you stretched out your hands and they pierced your arms and your feet and Lord, all that you went through for us. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Lord, I take this, Lord, in faith, knowing that, Lord, this covenant that you made for us, Lord, it rescues us. And we're saved and delivered and given hope because of it. So, Lord, I take this bread in remembrance of what you did. And then... Lord, I take this cup as you did. You said this is a cup of the new covenant of your blood. As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you show the Lord's death until he comes, you said, Lord. And Lord, as your body was, and you, su you suffered so greatly physically, Lord, we know that when you took the sins of the world upon yourself, that was worse than all the physical suffering you went through. Lord, an unimaginable. We can't, we can't get it. We can't grasp it, Lord. But we just know in our mind that you did something, obviously, that no one else could have. And you paid such a dear price for us so that we, as we drink this cup, can be assured that the blood, your blood, has already cleansed us from all our sin. So we do this in remembrance and with a grateful heart. Thank you, Lord, for cleansing my soul. I receive it. You all know this. Sing this with us. Hello. 
This is how I fight my battles. This is how we fight with praise. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We praise you, God. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a blessed week.